You're listening to Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. Here's Professor Birdsong. Great to be back with you here on TalkZone Radio. This is Leonard Birdsong. I've got a guest on the line, Dr. and Professor Fred Jonathan. Are you there, Fred? Uh, yes, I believe so. Well, thanks so much for coming on with us. And let me just tell the listeners a little bit about you. You are a scholar. You are a lawyer. You grew up in New York City, got a scholarship to Columbia University there, got your English literature degree there, and later uh, went to Cornell, where you got a Ph.D. in literature of the Middle Ages and Renaissance. You went to law school at the University of Indiana, you also, after graduation, became a law clerk to the federal judge, William C. Lee. He was actually the chief judge of the Northern District of Indiana, and you now teach at Barry Law School in Orlando. You published a lot of pieces. The last one that I've read had to do with, well, it's called The Law and the Host of the Canterbury Tales. It was published uh 2010, a very interesting read. Now, Professor Johnson, why do I have you on? I think it's because we will learn a lot about the development of our own law by reading things from the 14th century. Do you agree? Oh, yes, uh, I'd agree. I agree. I think that um, looking into the history of law uh, tells us a lot about our present law and gives us a sense of perspective uh, about uh, our law and how to understand it. Well, that's absolutely right. That's just what I think. So tell us about Geoffrey Chaucer. Now, he was, some people think he was a lawyer because seemingly he knew so much about the law back in the 1300s. But you say he wasn't a lawyer, uh, but tell us about him, some of the things he may have done aside from write the Canterbury Tales. Well, uh, I think it's more accurate to call him a uh, civil servant. Um, okay. He uh, had a, a variety of posts. Uh, for the uh, English government, the government of the English king. And uh, one uh, of those posts was uh, controller of the uh, wool, of wool imports into the city of London. Uh, and that was an interesting job because uh, it was his business to uh, decide what the duty should be for textiles uh, that came uh, mostly from uh, uh, the Netherlands, uh, to uh, London. Uh, and uh, to do this job, he'd have to know a lot about uh, the law of uh, taxation. Uh, he'd have to know a lot about contracts. And he'd have to be a very shrewd individual so that uh, uh, various individuals who would bring uh, these products into London wouldn't try to put something over on him. Uh, right. He might have to bring cases to the court of the exchequer, which was the uh, court for business dealings and taxation uh, in London at the time. Um, and, uh, and so all of this implies that, that he knew something about, about the law. Uh, and uh, later on, he uh, was um, in charge of the king's works, and that was a, a position in which uh, he uh, took care of the maintenance of various buildings for the uh, royal government. Uh, and once again, he'd have to make a contract with uh, builders. Uh, he'd uh, again have to know a lot about uh, uh, 
contract law about uh, the workings of the government to uh, pay for these uh, works and to maintain them. Uh, so all of this does imply uh, a knowledge of the law. And uh, I just would like to add one other thing that uh, he uh, mentions in his works, friends of his work, which were lawyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, all of this uh, indicates that he probably was part of a, uh, a legal culture, if you will, uh, right. while he was writing his poetry. Right. Okay. And it was poetry. Now, let me, as I understand, he sometimes served as an ambassador to other countries or he was sent on on yes, trips to represent the king of England in various countries. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, he um, went on uh, trips to France, to Spain, uh, to Italy uh, to negotiate uh, peace treaties, uh, to negotiate uh, loans for the uh, English king, and uh, once again, uh, this would uh, indicate uh, a kind of shrewdness in terms of negotiating these agreements, as well as uh, the legalisms that that would be involved. So, um, uh, uh, quite right, Uh, I I see you you read my my, uh, article very carefully. Uh, All of this... It's a a well-written article. I mean, it's very entertaining, and it's very well-written. Uh, well, well, thank you, thank you very much. I I, I appreciate that. Um, now, uh, uh, the uh, particular interest of mine was uh, innkeepers' liability and uh, the character of Harry, Harry Bailey in the Canterbury Tales. Um, so, uh, I, I might well, well, first of all, wait a minute. let us now. Everyone doesn't know about the Canterbury Tales. I had to read some of it in high school. And some people read it in college. Why don't you just tell us what it's what the Canterbury Tales mean? Well, uh, the Canterbury Tales uh, was written in the 14th century. Um, it is unfinished, and I'll, I'll explain uh, how how so in a little while. Um, but it's what we call a frame narrative. Uh, that means that uh, Chaucer included a collection of different stories within a framework. Uh, the basic framework is that a group of pilgrims, approximately, uh, well, 28 to be exact, uh, get together at an inn in Southampton, which is a, at the time, was a suburb of London. Uh, Southampton or to, South Ward? Right, right. Uh, they're about to embark on a trip to um, uh, Canterbury Cathedral, a, a pilgrimage. So it, it has a religious objective. But uh, in the course of this, uh, Chaucer includes a lot of entertainment uh, for the pilgrims. So um, they get together at an inn called the Tabard Inn in Southampton, and Harry Bailey is the owner and proprietor of the inn. And so at uh, a dinner party uh, for the uh, pilgrims, uh, before they're going to set out the next day, he uh, proposes to them uh, what I call a contract. Uh, essentially. Uh, It's also called the storytelling game. He says, uh, look, uh, you know, um, it would be kind of boring just to make this trip to Canterbury uh, and uh, to sit there on your horses uh, dumb as a stone. Uh, You want to entertain yourself (laughs) along the way. And so uh, he says, "Uh, I'll tell you what, um, uh, here's my proposal. If you make me the uh, uh, governor, guide, 
judge and all that uh, for your trip to uh, Canterbury. Uh, I will uh, arrange uh, for you all to tell stories. Each one of you must tell two stories on the way going to Canterbury and two stories on the way back. And um, if anyone um, uh, disobeys me, uh, doesn't uh, do what I say or does not submit to my judgment about who goes next or um, uh, when someone should stop telling uh, a story, uh, well, that person will then have to pay all our expenses on the way to Canterbury and back. <laughs> Quite a bargain. The winner. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, and uh, so uh, he says, I will decide who is the winner of this uh, storytelling game, and uh, the person who's the winner uh, will get a free dinner and lodging uh, when we come back to the Tabard Inn at the end of our uh, our trip. Uh, so that's okay. basically the, the, uh, the arrangement he makes. Okay, so now they go on the pilgrimage. Let's let me before we get into it any more. As I understand it, you wanted to talk about what's called the innkeeper's liability. That means an innkeeper is liable for any harm that happens to his guests, and he may have to pay. That concept came over to us in America later, didn't it? That's quite correct. Um, it's actually a very ancient uh, law. Uh, it uh, originated uh, with the Romans. Um, the, uh, you find it in a collection of Roman law called the Digest of Justinian, which was uh, uh, written down in the 6th century. Uh, but then, as, as you know, uh, with the fall of the Roman Empire, uh, and uh, the Roman Empire extended as far as Great Britain, uh, yes. a lot of these laws broke down and degenerated. But yes. uh, with with the Middle Ages, uh, when uh, England was developing its commerce and its sophistication as a nation, uh, a lot of these Roman laws were, were revived as matters of common law. And what fascinated me was that uh, it was just about during the lifetime of Chaucer that innkeeper's liability uh, became part of the English law. And basically the idea is that uh, an innkeeper would be strictly liable for any property that a guest at the inn might might lose uh, uh, through robbery or through uh, any kind of uh, uh, mishap that might occur at the inn. Now, strict mm -hmm. liability means that whether it was the fault of the innkeeper or whether some thieves came in and broke into the inn and stole from the guest or um, uh, whether uh, uh, another... Um, person who stayed at the inn, uh, another guest robbed uh, the, uh, the individual uh, that we're interested in, uh, uh, even if it's not the uh, fault of the innkeeper, the innkeeper would still be liable for that loss. And uh, uh -huh. that, was part, that was part of the common law of England, which eventually came over here. Now, I understand it here. You, as a matter of fact, we've talked about this before. In America, it's now by statute, and it's not as strict as it used to be in 14th city, 14th century England. Is that correct? The well, innkeeper's well, right. liability uh, concept. The uh, the common law would would make the um, innkeeper liable for the full extent of the guest's loss of property while the guest is staying at the inn. Um, but uh, by statute, uh, all the states have limited that liability to 
uh, a certain amount. So someone who uh, may have $40,000 in jewels and loses that at, uh, say, a hotel, well, uh, the hotel is not going to be responsible for that much. There'll be some amount that the hotel might be liable for, but uh, no more than that. But um, uh, the, these laws also are, are uh, read, are construed, uh, so that um, uh, the, uh, the proprietor of the hotel or motel or whatever it is must provide some kind of notice to the guest. Right, maybe right, notice, indeed. And if that's not there, then uh, we go back to the common law. So uh, the, uh, the uh, hotel owner must still strictly provide that notice as it is given in the statute uh, in order to get the limitation on liability. And that's why in hotels and motels, they suggest you lock your valuables in a safe they provide in the room, right? That's right, uh, because under those circumstances, then the, the hotel will be uh, liable for your property because it's understood uh, what you are uh, uh, putting into the safekeeping of the hotel. Uh, but otherwise, the, the, the statute limiting uh, uh, the uh, liability of the uh, of the innkeeper would uh, prevail. All right, well listen to this. I'm going to have to take a pause for the cause and I'd like if you can stay with us for a few moments. I want to come back and hear something from you about one of the tales that were told in the Canterbury Tales. Can you do that? Um uh well certainly I I can do that. Uh be happy to. All right, stick with us. This is Leonard Birdsong on Talk Zone. I've been talking to Professor Dr. Fred Jones about Fred Jonathan. I'm sorry, not Fred Jones. Fred Jonathan about the Canterbury Tales and Geoffrey Chaucer and the 14th century, how laws in England have come over to the United States. Dave, why don't you take me out and we'll be back. Consumer Debt Counselors is the company that will help you get out of debt. Consumer Debt Counselors is a licensed, accredited nonprofit agency that specializes in educating people about credit and debt and helping people resolve issues with debt, even student loan debt. There are so many federal regulations. Most people have more options than they realize, and Consumer Debt Counselors can uncover all of your eligible solutions, including lowering your payment or getting out of default. If you want a partner that will work with you to achieve financial success, talk to the team at Consumer Debt Counselors. They have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, so these guys are the real deal. Your first consultation is free, and all sessions are kept confidential. Give them a call at 1-800-820-9232 or go to ConsumerDebtCounselors.org slash birdsong. The number again is 800-820-9232. You're listening to Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. Here's Professor Birdsong. Yes, it is Leonard Birdsong. Back with you on Leonard Birdsong Radio. I have a guest, Fred Jonathan. It's Professor Dr. Fred Jonathan. We've been talking about Jeffrey Chaucer. We've been talking about his Canterbury Tales. We've been talking about innkeeper's liability. Are you still with us, Professor Jonathan? Uh, yes, certainly. 
All right. Well, this is we're coming up near the end of the show, but I wanted to just for people who may not have read it and maybe it'll spur people to read some of it. Can you tell us one of the tales from the Canterbury Tales, one that you might like and that we can do in a few moments here? Well, I, I'll tell you what, um, if, if you don't mind, uh, I'll, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the, uh, the storytelling game, how uh, Harry Bailey sets it up. And, and uh, this will involve uh, a part of one of the tales. Um, All right. You, you know, um, uh, Southampton um, uh, in London at that time was known for being a little bit lawless. In other words, <laughs> the rules of London... Uh, uh, or the laws of London, uh, couldn't be imposed upon Southampton because at that time it was not really a governmental part of, of London. And so a lot of things went on there, uh, such as prostitution, such as gambling. Uh, there was no control over uh, innkeepers and, and uh, vittlers, people who sold food. So it, it was a place uh, known as a kind of red-light district, if you will. Right. Right. So it was very important for for um, uh, travelers uh, who went there to have uh, an inn which which they can really rely on, uh, where they they would be safe. And um, in this agreement that Harry Bailey makes with the pilgrims, uh, he follows all the procedures of of, of an oral contract uh, according to how it should be made uh, uh, at the at the time. In other words. Um, the contract, it would be recited, uh, all the uh, duties and all the rights in the contract, and uh, everyone would have to agree. And and then at the end, to seal the bargain, uh, instead of signing on the dotted line, uh, everyone would have would have a drink. Um, and, and that would be uh, the sign that everyone agreed uh, to the contract. And uh, in the course of the story, you know, Harry Bailey decides... Uh, uh, the order in which the pilgrims should speak, uh, but of course that that doesn't last very long. One of the uh, pilgrims breaks in, uh, but there's one uh, particular story. Um, it uh, occurs in the nun's priest's tale. This is a priest who is accompanying um, uh, the prioress uh, in the story, and it's a tale about uh, really a fable about uh, a rooster. Um, who uh, 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 is uh, eventually gets in trouble because he's carried away by by a fox. All right. You see, uh, he uh, uh, tells the fox, "Well, you know, why, why don't you why don't you boast uh, to all the people who are running after you uh, about what you've done?" And so the fox uh, decides that uh, that's a good idea, and so he uh, opens his. Uh, uh, muzzle, I guess, with which he was holding the rooster, and begins to boast uh, that, you know, <laughs> I've gotten away with this. And that gives uh, Chanticleer a chance to get away uh, from the fox. Uh, but in the course of their story, there's an interesting bit about uh, about an inn. Uh, there are uh, two pilgrims who are uh, uh, traveling, and they uh, stop at a town, uh, and one of them manages to find a nice room in the inn. Okay. Uh, but uh, the inn is completely taken up at that point, and the other one uh, has to uh, uh, be in the stable. Um, and so uh, the one uh, in the uh, in the nice room, uh, he has a dream in which his friend calls out to him, "Help! Help! I'm being robbed." Uh, so he gets up and he says, "Well, that, that's quite a dream." 
but he dismisses it. Uh, he um, thinks, well, it's not very important, and so he goes back to bed. And twice he is awakened this way, and then the third time his friend appears in his dream all bloodied and uh, says to him, uh, it's too late now, I've been killed. I, I've, mm. uh, and, and so uh, uh, the fellow who was in the room, he gets up the next morning, looks for his friend, and can't find him anywhere. And so he now believes that his dream was important. Uh, so he, um, uh, his friend tells him and had told him in the dream, look for a dung cart. Uh, I'll be in that dung cart. And so he sees the dung cart now uh, in the morning, and he starts uh, calling for the sheriff, calling for help, uh, and they overturn the dung cart, and there's the body of his friend. And as a result, um, they find that the innkeeper was involved in this uh, uh, nefarious scheme, and, uh, and the innkeeper is tried and, and jailed and, uh, um, uh, and ends up uh, hanged. Uh, and yeah. uh, this is a, a kind of story which I think underlines the fact that uh, your innkeeper was a very important uh, to be yeah. a trustworthy person uh, when you're traveling around in the Middle Ages. Right. I do remember that story. Well, thank you so much for that. I'm going to have to sign off now, but I'm really pleased to have heard from you, doctor and professor. And, well, was, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the history of law. So that is why I wanted to have you on. I wanted to talk to the listeners about how things from the 13th century are still with us, at least in concept. OK. OK, that's fine. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Okay. This is Leonard Birdsong. We're still here. Just finished talking to Dr. Professor Fred Jonathan about the Chaucer, Jeffrey Chaucer and his Canterbury Tales. I've got a little time. Okay, folks. That's the peanut, ga- that's the peanut gallery going crazy over our guest. I'm going to, um, end the story with a, few more news tidbits that were sent to me by my research assistant, and then, as usual, I have a few riddles. Here's one news tidbit. What's worse than coming upon a python in the Florida Everglades? Well, coming across a 144-pound python. It seems that snake trappers Nicholas Banos and Leonardo Sanchez bagged the massive reptile as part of an ongoing python-removing effort to protect dwindling deer, raccoons, and other native animals in the Everglades that are being eaten by pythons. Ugh. Here's another one from Florida. (laughs) The headline read, Thief gets loose. A shoplifting suspect escaped from a Florida police station by making a hole in the bathroom ceiling while an officer stood guard outside. Michael Caruso, 31, removed an exhaust fan and made the hole big enough to climb through at the Orange City Police Department building. He was recaptured quite quickly afterwards, but... Thief gets loose, it said. All right. Here's one about irony. This story comes from, where is it? Kentucky. It says, powered by irony. The Kentucky Coal Mining Museum in Harlan County is switching to clean energy 
The museum last week began installing solar panels on its roof in hopes of cutting its electricity bills. Quote, of course, in the current economic times we're in, any way to save money is always appreciated, said Brandon Robinson, a spokesman for Southeast Kentucky Community and Technical College, with which owns the museum. All right. Here's one from Japan. Headline. He has a clean conscience. A garbage collector in Japan found $370,000 in trash, in the trash. It was inside of um, a, uh, a dumpster. The worker found it. He's 23. They didn't give his name, but he turned it in right away. It was uh, in a container, here it is, in a trash disposal plant in the town of Numata, Japan. He didn't steal the money. He gave it back right away. Good for him. All right, folks. I'm going to end by telling you that if you want to get in touch with me by email, my email address is lbirdsong22 at gmail.com. You can write me. I will write you back. Or I'll talk to you, talk about what you want to know on the show. Also, you know, you can buy my books at my website, www.leonardbirdsong.com. You can also go to my blog, www.birdsongslaw.com and read some of my dumb criminal news stories for free. Right now, here are a couple of riddles you might want to know. Did you know that grave, did you know graveyards are popular? No, well, now really, it should be phrased like this. How do we know that graveyards are popular? That's a better way. How do we know that graveyards are popular? Think about it for a minute. I'm going to give you the answer. You've probably figured it out. We know that graveyards are popular. Because people are just dying to get in. All right. Here's the next riddle. What did the policeman say to the belly button? What did the policeman say to the belly button? All right. The police said to the belly button, you're under a vest. <laughs> All right, the last, the last riddle here. What did one wall say to the other? What did one wall say to the other? Think about it. Well, what one wall said to the other is, I'll meet you at the corner. Oh, that's so corny, but it is funny. <laughs> this is Leonard Birdsong on Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. It's so good to have been with you. I'll be back next week. You can listen to me 24-7 on TalkZone. Uh, so you can listen to the show again if you want. But I'm here on Thursdays from 1 until 2 Eastern Standard Time. I love being here with you. There's no fake news on this program. 
Keep listening, folks. Dave, thanks for everything. You can take me out. 